Good afternoon, Lafayette. This is Joe Cunningham here on the on News Talk 96.5 KPL 232-1542 if you want to be part of the program. Lots to talk about today. Of course, let's start with the big news of the day, and that is uh, Sean Wilson declaring his candidacy for governor. So I'm, I'm pretty sure that's going to be the last uh, the last major candidate announcement for the gubernatorial election. I don't see Garrett Graves jumping in. I don't see Clay Sheck Snyder jumping in. Uh, I think Wilson pretty much covers it right now, but we shall see. Um, I mentioned during the traffic a little while ago, it looked like there was nothing up on the board. Had somebody call in between the traffic report and the start of the show. Apparently, there is a major accident on Evangeline Thruway. Uh, emergency responders just showing up to the scene. Uh, hope to have more information on that, but be careful on Evangeline Thruway. Uh, and uh, drive safe out there, please. All right. So. Let's get into the Sean Wilson announcement. Sean Wilson makes his announcement today on social media. And there's a nice little video um, and, of course, kind of plays to the transportation secretary angle by saying that Louisiana needs a governor who can build bridges. And he's not talking about the physical ones he's talking about between both sides. He's trying to play up the moderate route. He had an interview with uh, Brandon Como this morning on Acadiana's Morning News. And I'm, I'm, I was debating on whether or not to, to talk about this. So, so whenever, I, whenever I talk about political strategy and stuff like that, a lot of people get that, get, get that confused. They'll send a message. I know there, there's, one, there's one regular listener I know who's going to uh, want to send a message. They rarely call him. They're going to want to send a message through the KPL app um, saying you're focusing on all the wrong things, not what this person can do, et cetera, et cetera. But I need to explain. When a person is running for for any sort of office, what they're hoping to do is slightly less important in, in in terms of political strategy, then how they come across. How they come across makes all the difference. You can have a guy who believes all of the right things, agrees with you 110%. But if his personality is off, he's not charismatic, he's too eccentric, his personal lifestyle choices are a little eccentric, his behavior is off or erratic or whatever, either side, either way too boring or way too erratic, all of those things matter as well. So campaigns, a major part of what they do is trying to coach the candidate to be an everyman, to be somebody relatable to as many of the people in the voting base as possible. Now, in listening to... Acadiana's Morning News, listening to Sean Wilson's interview this morning, there are two takeaways. He's actually a little to the left of how John Bell Edwards ran. There are a couple of issues that he mentioned. He's a little to the left of how John Bell Edwards ran. He's also well-coached, but boring. And those two things 
make a difference. Look, Sean Wilson can come in and be the most moderate guy right down the center, everything like that. But when he talks about LGBT issues, when he talks about some social issues, when he talks about uh, when, when he talks about the, the building bridges stuff, he comes across as somebody who's going to be to John Bell Edwards left of how John Bell Edwards ran. Of course, if, if, if Moon is listening, God forbid Moon's listening, because me mentioning this is probably sending him off the edge. But uh, <laughs> I know Moon was very excited when he heard that. He had he had to have been excited when he heard that interview this morning and, and saw the, the declaration of candidacy. But, uh, you know, Moon has been, you know, like Moon and, and so many others out there, John Bell Edwards very much of the left, but John Bell Edwards ran as a moderate. If you will recall, he ran as a moderate in 2015. Whether it's a, whether it's part of the strategy or not, based on that interview this morning here on KPL, Sean Wilson is going to be running to the left of candidate John Bell Edwards. I think that's probably a tactical mistake. A lot of the state is still very conservative, and I think a lot of the state is simply not really in favor of moving further to the left than how John Bell Edwards ran. John Bell Edwards ran by being a moderate candidate and letting the Republican Party take it from him. The Republican Party can benefit from somebody who's more to the left in his political rhetoric because that will push some folks who are moderates and independents back toward the Republican Party. But the bigger issue for Sean Wilson is, and I'm sorry if you were a Sean Wilson supporter, but he sounded pretty boring. I'm not saying that as a partisan. I'm not saying that as somebody who is a rabid Landry or Schroeder or anybody else fan out there. He sounded kind of dull. He sounded kind of boring. And that's just kind of his nature. I mean, this is a guy who is a transportation nerd. Okay, Department of Transportation and Development, that, that's been his life for decades. And he's great talking about those issues, but when you have to elevate it to platitudes about being a candidate for statewide office, when you elevate it to having to talk about all these issues that affect the state, not just DOTD issues, not just infrastructure issues, but all of the issues that impact the state, he's a little dry. Okay. And he's got to work on that. Now, he's got seven months. Remember, the, the election's in October. He's got seven months to get more money and to crisp up his rhetoric, his tone, basically, not necessarily the rhetoric, but the tone, the way he presents himself in terms of how he talks, how he does these media appearances. If there are debates, how he, uh, it, in uh, his ability to connect through the media, through one-on-one, through uh, rallies, things like that with voters. Because if he can't connect, if he's very dry on a stage, if he's very dry in interviews, it's going to hurt him. So that's what Wilson's campaign is going to have to do. They're going to have to infuse personality into Sean Wilson. Let me tell you who Sean Wilson actually reminds me of, and some of y'all might be shocked by this. Sean Wilson reminds me, based on conversations I've had, I I have not gotten a chance to meet with him or or interact with him or anything, but based on conversations I've had with other people, their description of Sean Wilson is the same description I would give you of Marco Rubio. 
Marco Rubio, the U.S. Senator from Florida, if you were ever meeting with him, and I have, behind the scenes, off the stage, in one-on-one or small group conversations, just shooting the bull, he's fantastic, he's personal, he's got charisma, you just want to talk with him, he's a big football nerd. I mean, he, his his wife is a former NFL cheerleader, so there's something to that, but... But Marco Rubio is very personable. Up on the stage, he's cold, he's robotic. That's what kind of ended his candidacy when uh, Chris Christie was able to just talk about how robotic he was with his talking points. That really kind of ended it for Marco Rubio. Sean Wilson strikes me as the same. One-on-one in small conversations, he's very personable, he's knowledgeable, you want to talk to him, you kind of want to gauge him, see how he feels about things. But when he does these media interviews, when he's when if you know he gets up on a stage, he's going to be kind of cold, kind of robotic, not really all that charismatic. That's going to be the big challenge for Sean Wilson going forward. You have Jeff Landry as your main opponent. Again, with all the money and all what the polling shows right now, Jeff Landry is the guy Sean Wilson has to beat. And Jeff Landry, whether you like him or not, Jeff Landry is charismatic. He's funny. He's got the accent. I mean, he's going to be entertaining up on the stage, but he's also going to be passionate about it. And that's what they've got to give to Wilson in order to make this run for governor be successful. Will he be able to do it? I'm not sure. I don't know if he's going to be able to or not, but that's my takeaway just based on the announcement, based on his interview this morning and based on talking to some folks behind the scenes. Again, Not a partisan judgment at all. I don't know him. Never met him. I wouldn't make a person. I'm not going to uh, attack him personally. We're probably going to have disagreements on policy. But based on what I can glean from these interviews, it sounds like he's got a charisma problem. And he's got to work on that. Now, money and access to media can help with that. And he'll get a lot of access to media. Of course, he's the Democratic candidate for governor. The advocate's going to give him a lot of of page space. Greg Hilburn's going to give him a lot of page space in the Gannett papers. He's going to get that access to TV stations. He's, he's, He's still popular in this area. He's going to get that access. He's going to learn as he runs, and that's going to be a pretty important thing for him to do. But, but, there's only so much that you can learn on the road. He's launched his campaign. He's got seven months to try to become the most personable guy on a stage in media interviews. He needs to be entertaining. He needs to pick up support because he's competing against a personality in Jeff Landry. If I were a political consultant for the Democratic Party, I would say the number one goal right now is to raise money. The number two goal is to try to elevate that personality, make him more energetic, make him more electric when he does these interviews. If he can do that, he's going to go probably into the runoff against the leading Republican. Again, right now looks like Jeff Landry. All right, let's go ahead and take a break. When we come back, 
We've got so much more to talk about here on the Joe Cunningham Show. Plus your calls, 232-1542. Your messages through the KPL app chat. We'll be back in just a moment right here. News Talk 96.5 KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL. 232-1542 if you want to be part of the conversation. You can also send a message through the KPL app chat. Just kind of looking through the app chat actually. Uh, like I mentioned, uh, Brandon interviewed uh, Sean Wilson this morning uh, on Acadiana's Morning News, and one of the comments made during that part of the show on the app chat uh, from a listener in Brobridge, I hope you're still listening here in the afternoons too, but uh, says, I will find it difficult to drive to the polls dodging potholes when voting for Wilson, which is a good point. Um you know, he's going to tout his time and experience in the Department of Transportation and Development. And I don't care if you want to argue that it's uh, it's it wasn't under his purview. These are local issues. This is whatever. If you're going to play up the transportation and, and infrastructure job you did, you might want to make sure that you've got a plan for countering all the jokes about Louisiana potholes, bridges, etc., But anyway, moving right along, there's a story that came out just a little while ago. In fact, I wrote it and put it up on on uh, on our website, KPL965.com, but saw this report a little while ago. Um, The former police chief of Lafayette, Thomas Glover, has now filed a suit against the city claiming he was fired uh, for being black. That is what the suit is arguing. Um. It states that during Mr. Glover's tenure at LCG, a white man assumed the position of police union president on reasonable information and belief. About two weeks after this turnover, union leadership requested a meeting with Mayor President Guillory. In a meeting with Mayor President Guillory, leaders of the police union reportedly requested that plaintiff be terminated because he had terminated two white officers for using excessive force on handcuffed prisoners and terminated a black officer who had tested positive for illegal drug use. LCG and Mr. Guillory terminated Mr. Glover because of his race. First of all, that that seems kind of uh, terminated two white officers for using excessive force on handcuffed prisoners and terminated a black officer who had tested positive for illegal drug use. And that's proof that he was fired because of of race. I'm not saying it's I'm not calling him a liar, not saying anything like that, but. Um, you know, for whatever faults the Guillory administration may or may not have, LCG, especially within the administration, is an incredibly diverse organization. Josh Guillory has promoted a lot of folks representing minority groups to positions of power in LCG. The very next appointment to chief was Wayne Griffin, also a black man. I don't think, I don't think that this is going to be a play that works. I could be wrong. 
I just I don't see that there's enough evidence here. Maybe maybe there'll be something else that comes out if this suit goes to trial or anything like that. I'm just not sure. All right, we're going to take this break. We'll be back in just a moment right here on News Talk 96.5 KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL 232-1542 if you want to be part of the conversation. So I want to start this segment with a clip from CPAC. I know I said I wasn't going to talk much about CPAC, but... I promise there's a valid reason for this one. Lee Zeldin, uh, who ran against Kathy Hochul of New York for governor and almost won, uh, helped turn several congressional districts red and helped move the Republican Party uh, to being more competitive in places in New York that they weren't expected to be competitive. I I want you to listen. This is kind of a lengthy bit, but I want you to listen to... uh, to Lee Zeldin, the former congressman here. So tell us a little bit about that. Well, we need to be competing everywhere in all 50 states. I don't care what state you come from. There are important races, especially down ballot. And we saw instead of New York sending six Republicans as part of our delegation to D.C., we ended up sending 11. We end up flipping control of the House of Representatives. Nancy Pelosi is no longer speaker. We need to go into Democratic areas, and the best way to get Democrat votes is not to act like Democrats, but to explain why we are proud, principled conservatives. And don't pander. If you go speak to a black group or a Hispanic group or an Asian vote or Jewish group, don't say, I love black people vote for me, I love Asian people vote for me, I love Hispanic people vote for me. Say, we need to improve safety on these streets. Here is how. These are our proposals. We need to improve the quality of education inside of your kids' schools. Here's how. These Democrats are unhappy with the Democratic policies and the Democratic Party as a whole, but they aren't going to just swing to the Republicans on their own. It's a bad assumption that we are making. Instead, what we need to do is to show up over and over and over again. When your high-paid political consultant tells you not to go to a heavily Democratic area, that's exactly where we need to show up and earn the support of these Democrats. We cannot relinquish the cities. We cannot relinquish the suburbs. We need to drive the message in these campaigns as we talk about what needs to get done to make our streets safer, to make life in these states more affordable. And he's absolutely right. Lee Zeldin is 100 percent correct on this. And that brings me to a New York Times piece that was written today by David Leonhardt of The New York Times. He's he's an he's more of the data data analyst type. Um, and a, a lot of the stuff he writes is very thought-provoking and intriguing, and I, I recommend if you come across one of his stories, I realize it's the New York Times, but you need to be paying attention to what he's writing because he's picked up on something. The New York Times, it seems, is picking up on something, and it should have the Democrats very worried. See, we've already talked about the subtle shift of black voters to the Republican Party. We've talked about the more dramatic shift of Hispanic American voters over to the Republican Party. But there's another demographic group now. Over the course of the last several years, it's been one of the most observable trends, this movement of demographic groups from the Democratic Party to the Republican Party. And Asian Americans are another group that is observably moving to the right. Of course, we know 
that the, the for the Democrats, Hispanic voters and black voters are big constituencies. And when you see their numbers start to drift toward the GOP, it starts to cause the Democrats to panic. But you need to pay attention to some of these numbers as well. In 2016, Republicans won 18 percent of the Asian American vote. In 2020, they won 30 percent. Okay, that is a difference of that is a 12 percent growth in 2022, 32 percent of Republic of uh, 32 percent of Asian Americans voted Republican. That is huge. That is a major shift from where we were just six years ago, just seven years ago, when only 18 percent of Asian Americans were voting Republican. Now, why is that? According to the New York Times, talking to experts and analysts, here's the four points they came up with. Republican campaigns have recently increased their outreach to Asian voters, while Democratic candidates have grown complacent. Education issues hurt Democrats. Asian voters have been unhappy with proposals to change the rules for magnet high schools that admit children based on test scores. Many students at those schools come from lower-income Asian families. Perhaps most important, the New York Times says, the Republicans' anti-crime message resonated following increases in both citywide crime and anti-Asian violence. Lester Chang, a military veteran and a new Republican member of the New York State Assembly, said that the overwhelming reason he won a Brooklyn district beating a Democrat incumbent who had held the seat for 36 years was crime. Asian Americans are politically diverse, the New York Times concludes. The most heavily Democratic groups include those of Indian, Pakistani, Bangladeshi, and Arab descent. The least Democratic group is Vietnamese Americans, followed by Korean, Cambodian, and Filipino Americans. So just like Hispanic voters, point of origin does help determine your political allegiance. But there is an overall shift that is being measured across the demographic. The Times also notes this. Nationally, the rightward drift of Asian, Amer- of Asian voters is connected to a new class divide in American politics. The shift of Asian and Latino voters has coincided with a period when the progressive left has become bolder and shaped the Democrats' national image. That shift has also coincided with the pandemic and its aftermath. The Democratic Party, especially its liberal wing, has come to increasingly reflect the views of college-educated professionals. Or, as James Carville said back in 2021, the Democrats are not adopting the language of the working class. They are adopting what he called faculty lounge language, faculty lounge politics. The super woke language of white academics that has very little appeal outside of the roughly 8% of the party that calls itself progressive. That number, that 8%, comes from Pew Research Center. The Chinatown area of Sunset Park, Brooklyn, was was long a Democratic stronghold, the New York Times writes. The party's candidates would often receive more than 70% of the vote there. Last year, however, the neighborhood underwent a political transformation. Lee Zeldin, the Republican for governor, managed to win Sunset Park's Chinatown, receiving more votes than Governor Kathy Hochul. The shift is part of a national story. In the past two elections, 2020 and 2022, Asian Americans have moved toward the right according to election returns and exit polls. 
This is bad news for the Democrats. Decades ago, the Democrats believed in this idea that demography is destiny. And that as the demographic, as the country became less and less white, this would benefit the Democratic Party because they inherently believed, assumed, and really took advantage of the idea that these different demographic groups would always vote Democrat. But now here we are. We are here in the year 2023 and these demographic groups are are shifting over because the Democrats are too progressive, too white and academic and privileged, and they are scaring away the working class that is made up of all of these demographic groups. 232-1542, if you want to be part of the conversation, let's jump to a voice that is familiar on this station, but I don't always get to hear you on my show. Paul, how are you doing? doing great you know I, I was just watching ex-governor of maryland mr hogan the potato tell us why the potato we Let's... got a sorry go, go <laughs> no, ahead. i'm i'm just somebody pointed out he looked like a potato this weekend and i have not been able to stop thinking about it <laughs> well anyhow but um, what's happened with the democrat party it's moved so far left these people aren't swinging to, to the republican party the Democrat Party's gone nuts. Oh yeah, and 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 they've and they've recognized that they're insane. It's not that they're any more conservative. They're just looking at reality in every major city in America with the insanity that's going on. The Democrats run. I mean, it, you just you don't have to even think much deeper than anything to understand what's going on and why these people are voting for anything. Because that's what we all do. We we're voting lesser of two evils continuously. Mm-hmm. And I think the Democrat Party is is. I, I think they're trying to commit suicide. I, I'm trying to figure out where they think they're going with all of this. Where does this ultimately end up with these people? You, you look at New York or any major city in America, and you look at the crime and, and the murder rates and what happened in Chicago. I mean, what happened in San Francisco with the DA. I mean, we can go on for, for the whole show talking about all the, the, the cities that they run and how bad they're, they are ran. And so these people are just coming to the realization that they can't have lunatics running their cities. Exactly. I mean, you and, and I think part of it is – the Republican Party, not that the Republican Party has embraced, because the, the Republican Party still is very much also a cronyist group. The, the leadership loves yep. big businesses at the expense of Main Street. I mean, you and I, Paul, have been talking about this for over 10 years since we were both back yep. in Natchitoches. But the fact of the matter is the Republicans now relate more to the working class and working class values than the Democrats do. And I think that's a big shift that is helping swing these demographic groups back uh, not 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 like you said back not back to the Republicans but just they're staying in the middle. The Democratic Party is just drifting further and further left. Yeah, I, I think that's the analogy that you use. They they've gone off. They're out there on Jupiter somewhere. I yeah. mean, they they have truly lost their minds. I mean, you you look at the leadership of the party and the stuff they're pushing. I've been following y'all's library stuff in Lafayette. Mm-hmm. Truly bizarre. You know, with with what's going on there, with with uh, what they're pushing, and and just in 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 place, and probably the one of the second most conservative area in Louisiana is in the Lafayette area, mm-hmm. and you're having to fight this battle for your libraries. I mean, and then you know, and the people that the, the bureaucrats are, I, I, like I said, I think they've lost their minds. I think it's obvious that we've got a uh, we got a natural deal going right now. If the Republicans lose again, I don't. I don't even know where you start. If if this is what America's going to embrace is the, this kind of lunacy, then uh, then I don't know where you go. What, what what's the next option? If 
if it doesn't, if, if Joe Biden somehow gets reelected and, and if he runs again, and I really don't think he will, but he says he's going to, mm-hmm. what is what is the option after that? It, I, that's a very good question. I don't know what the option is after that. You know, he he is I've, I've maintained that Biden is the only one able to keep his party together right now. He is the one who can keep the moderates with the party because the moderates are getting just as been out of shape about the progressives as some of the rest of us are. But for different reasons. But he can also keep the progressives at the table with the rest of the party, not splintering off into their own thing. There there is no Tea Party movement in the Democratic Party because somebody like Joe Biden exists to keep everybody at the same table. I don't know what comes after Joe Biden if he were to win again, but I can guarantee you, Paul, because I've talked to progressives who have this mindset, if Joe Biden runs again and loses in 2024, they're all going to say the same thing. See, the problem is when you run a moderate, we need somebody who's more progressive. That'll bring the voters back. And there, that's that's yeah. them having lost their mind. Paul, thank you very much for calling. It's, it's sure, good bud. to talk to you. Okay. All good right. talk to you. All right. Have a good one. All right, 232-1542, if you guys want to call in and be part of the conversation as well, I'll be right back in just a moment here on the Joe Cunningham Show, News Talk 96.5, KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5, KPL. 232-1542, if you want to be part of the program. You know, in that last segment, Paul, uh, again, thanks to Paul for calling. I don't get a chance to talk to him near enough. Um, Paul referenced Larry Hogan. Larry Hogan announced on Sunday on CBS's Face the Nation that he was not going to run for president. Uh, He said, I didn't want to have a pileup of a bunch of people fighting, uh, noting that Trump and DeSantis are, quote, soaking up all the oxygen than a whole lot of the rest of us in single digits and more of them. The more of them you have, the less chance you have for somebody rising. So to be fair, he's right. DeSantis and Trump are absolutely going to be sucking up all the oxygen in the room. It's going to be very hard for other voices to break through. But that doesn't mean it's impossible for the voice of Nikki Haley, Tim Scott, some of these, uh, Vivek Ramaswamy, Ramaswamy, sorry. It doesn't mean it's impossible for those voices to rise. But you know what's impossible? The rise of the voice of a middle-aged, white, northeastern governor who hasn't been relevant nationally ever and was only relevant when he was governor of a state, mildly popular there, decent governor, but with no national appeal. Nobody cares what Larry Hogan would bring to the table except for the people who read the website The Bulwark. They're the ones who are most upset by this, a group of disaffected conservatives who hate Trump and wanted somebody like Larry Hogan to run as a sensible, common-sense Republican. You know, Back in February, Hogan more or less admitted he knew there wasn't much he could do on this election cycle. He was asked by Chuck Todd uh, if he would run if it ultimately helped Trump, and Hogan said that'd be a pretty good reason to consider not running. I don't care that much about my future in the Republican Party. I care about making sure we have a future for the Republican Party. Fine, fine, but here's the thing. You can almost guarantee Hogan ran some polls and found he's got, he's got no support whatsoever. And he's like, I'm not going to do this. It's going to make it's going to make Trump more likely to happen. So that's what he decided to do. Here is. Here's the thing about Hogan, and here's the thing about what some of these other Republicans that are moderate want. They want to return to Ronald Reagan politics. 
meaning they want to return to a time when Republicans actually meaningfully compromise with Democrats, except they always get it wrong. Ronald Reagan was pretty far to the right for the Republican Party back in the 80s, and he would always go to the negotiating table as far to the right as he could and work his way to the middle. What Larry Hogan, what some of these other Republicans in the establishment want, they want to start the conversation in the middle. They want to start they they want to start where they ultimately want to end. They want to end in the middle, so that's where they start negotiating. This is what we want. And because they're negotiating with Democrats, they keep moving further and further to the left. And they actually don't get anything meaningful done in that. Ronald Reagan pioneered compromise that actually gave Republicans wins. Larry Hogan wouldn't do that. Larry Hogan would start with where the Democrats would end up if he was far to the right, but he's not. So he's going to give the Democrats more and more if he were at the negotiating table with them. You know, I support a bigger field in 2024. I don't think it's necessarily a bad idea to have multiple voices running beyond Trump and DeSantis. But what I don't think anybody really cares for is a moderate white Republican who was a governor a while back and has no amazing track record. He's just a guy who was in office at one point. And a lot of those that are saying we need to do something about Trump, that's just what they're doing. They're, they're, they're also rants. All right, you guys have a fantastic day. I'll be back in 23 hours. In the meantime, follow me on Twitter at Joe P. Cunningham, Facebook.com slash Joe Cunningham Show, and email me, Joe at RedState.com. Shannon is offsides next here on News Talk 96.5 KPL. And then after that, the Cajuns will be vying for the Sun Belt Conference Championship and an invitation to the big dance. You guys stick around. It's an exciting night here on News Talk 96.5 KPL.